Peace be upon you. So one of the uh, submitters on the uh, Discord forum made this funny meme, and uh, it's labeled Sahi Sunni Sources. And it's one Sunni, he tells the other one, the prophet said this, and the other Sunni says, okay, I believe you. And what's funny about this is that many Sunnis believe that because something is labeled as Sahi, uh, authentic, which is the highest grading a, uh, a Hadith can have, therefore it must be true that this is definitively what the prophet said. And by their own admission, they understand that Hadith at best is probabilistic information, and which is just another fancy word for conjecture. Uh, and the term they use in their literature is a zon. Zon means something that's conjecture. It, you, you're uh, making an assumption. And in the book, Hadith, Muhammad's Legacy in Medieval and a Modern World, written by a professor of Harvard, Jonathan Brown, uh, on page 165, it reads, when Sunni legal theory matured in the 11th century, it was accepted that although Ahad, non-massively transmitted Hadith, did not yield epistemological certainty, yaqeen, that the Prophet had made that statement, they did yield a very strong probability, zan, this was sufficient for fixing law and rituals. So the word zan that he's uh, translating is a very strong probability. It just means conjecture. And it continues, this was uh, sufficient for fixing law and ritual. Well, almost all legal hadiths are ahad, right? So every single hadith we have is not mutawatir. The Quran was epistemologically certain, massively transmitted from the time of the Prophet. And what does the Quran tell us about zan, about uh, conjecture? In Surah 6, verse 116, it says, If you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They follow only conjecture, zan. They only guess. In 6.148, it reads, The idol worshippers say, Had God willed, we would not practice idolatry, nor would our parents, nor would we prohibit anything. Thus did those before them disbelieve until they incurred the retribution, say, Do you have any proven knowledge that you can show us? You follow nothing but conjecture. Again, the same word, zon. You only guess. And in 1036, it says, most of them follow nothing but conjecture, zon, and conjecture is no substitute for the truth. God is fully aware of everything they do. And the book is very clear, right? The, the, all the hadith, none of them, none of them are authentically motawatar. And motawatar means mass transmitted, means it's so ubiquitous that everyone just knows this to be true. And the only piece of information we have that came out of the Prophet's mouth is the Quran. This is the only true mutawatir uh, uh, hadith we have. You know, aside from that, the rituals are genuinely mutawatir. Every uh, Muslim followed these rituals and passed it down from generation to generation. But when it comes to the hadith corpus, you know, the, the uh, tens of thousands of hadith that they attribute back to the Prophet, that they give these various ratings, you know, none of these, none of these are mutawatir. At best, they say maybe one, and it's the one where it says, Anyone who fabricates a lie against me uh, will have their abode in hell. And what's interesting in this most motawatar hadith that they claim over 70 companions narrated the hadith, you'll find two versions of it. One says those who deliberately lie against me and the other one doesn't use the word deliberate. Now, later on, they said, oh, it must be, the word deliberate must be there. But what's interesting is the earliest companions, their understanding of this verse, Ibn Abbas, uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, they all understood this to mean any lie, even if it was unintentional, that if someone attributed a false statement to the prophet, that they would be destined to hell, 
right? And this is the famous uh, uh, narrative regarding Abu Bakr who collected 500 hadith. And then because he, he had trouble because of this concept, he burned them all. Because he said, despite the fact that he believed these were actual statements from the Prophet, he wasn't 100% sure or people can misconstrue them. And because that, he thought it was safer to burn them than it was to disseminate this information. Now, they want to get all fancy with their uh, Hadith sciences. And what's interesting is the opponents of Hadith uh, were the Mutazilites, right? This is the early vanguards of the Muslims. Uh, we talked about them in the uh, previous podcast. And these were strictly Quran alone. And they had a simple request from the muhadathan, right, the, the, the traditionalists. They said, look, the Quran advocates that if uh, someone accuses someone of adultery, they need four witnesses. So this is Surah 4, verse 15. It says, those who commit adultery among your women, you must have four witnesses against them from among you. And in Surah 24, verse 4, it says, those who accuse married women of adultery then fail to produce four witnesses, you shall whip them 80 lashes. And one last time in Surah 24, verse 13, it says, only if they produce four witnesses, you may believe them. So what the Mutazilites requested from the traditionalists is they said, look, the attribution of a narration to the Prophet is way more serious than adultery. So at a minimum, can we at least have four witnesses uh, to each stage of the Asnad? So the way this would work, uh, for instance, assuming the original four witnesses were truthful. So four witnesses witnessed the prophet make a statement. And you have to ask, did they misunderstand it? Were they actually there? Did they conspire? Anything. So we say, okay, look, we have four witnesses who made a statement. Then for each of those witnesses, we would need four more witnesses to testify to their uh, uh, testimony. So now we're up to potentially 16 witnesses. And for each link of the uh, transmission, you would need four witnesses for the four witnesses of the four witnesses. And since in Bukhari, there is about seven uh, links of transmission, that would require 16,384 witnesses. And no hadith even comes remotely close to this. And in the same book, uh, page 109, it says the categories of Mutawatir and Ahad were similarly unsuitable for the hadith tradition. For essentially all hadith were Ahad. As Ibn Saleh, uh, the most famous scholar of Hadith criticism in the later period, explained, at most one Hadith, whoever lies about me, let him prepare for himself a seat in hellfire, would meet the requirements for Mutawatir. No Hadith could actually be described as being narrated by a large number of narrators at every stage of their transmission. In fact, the Mutazilites had insisted that Hadith be transmitted by mere two people at every stage the Sunni Ibn Hibban had accused them of trying to destroy the Sunnah of the Prophet in its entirety. So merely requesting two witnesses for each link within the transmission was beyond the scope where they believed that this would destroy the entire Sunnah doctrine. And there's another conundrum to all this. You know, even if someone heard something, let's say that for all uh, intents and purposes, yes, the uh, companions supposedly heard the prophet make such and such statement. Who's to say that they actually memorized this correctly? Because no one claims that any of the hadith are the verbatim statements of the, uh, uh, the prophet. Again, at best, it's conjecture. And on page 24, it actually amplifies this problem. Uh, it has a narration from uh, the companions saying that if it was to be uh, taken verbatim, we would have no hadith. And it reads, it says, The companion Wathila bin Asqa uh, had admitted that sometimes the early Muslims even confused the exact wording of the Quran. 
which was universally well-known and well-preserved. So how, he asked, could one expect any less in the case of a report, a hadith, that the Prophet had said just once? Al-Hasan al-Basra is reported to have said, if we only narrated to you what we could repeat word for word, we would only narrate two hadiths. And he didn't specify which two these are. So they're saying that, look, the Quran that is being recited to them 24-7, that there, some of the companions were still mixing up, using synonyms, uh, switching the orders in the uh, recitation. And they were hearing this all the time. How less reliable are they to narrate a hadith exactly as it was stated in the exact context, the meaning, uh, when they only heard it once in passing? Right? They're saying if we had to do that, at best we could have potentially two hadith. So all this shows that, again, when someone says that the hadith is sahih, it's authentic, it does not mean that the Prophet actually made the statement. So when Sunnis just blindly accept any narration that is marked as sahih, they assume that this is authentic. Yes, of course the Prophet said this. This lack of discretion is particularly alarming because even the most eminent hadith scholars disputed with each other regarding which hadith should be deemed sahih or not. So let's put all that stuff aside. Even the label, the rating of Sahih, was debated among their most eminent scholars. Two of the most revered Hadith scholars among Sunni Muslims are Bukhari and a student Muslim. Yet they had different requirements for which Hadith they considered Sahih. For example, Bukhari believed that for a Hadith to be considered connected, a mutasil, it had to be proven that both the person who transmitted the tradition and the one who received it were living at the same time and had met one another. But Muslim, on the other hand, disagreed with this condition. Muslim believed it was sufficient for the transmitter and the recipient to have lived in the same time period, irrespective if there was any proof that they actually met one another. And because of this, there are certain narrations that Bukhari rejects of Muslim uh, that they, he considers these no longer to be sahih. So now we see that there's a disconnect between these two most eminent scholars. Now, if you go back a hundred years in the, the age of Abu Hanifa, uh, who's the founder of the Hanafi fiqh, he required that the people transmitting in a chain to have met and transmitted the hadith, heard from the hadith narrator by his own ears and fully remembered it. So he's taking this not just one, multiple steps further. Because the funny thing is, let's say that these two people supposedly met. Who's to say that they actually transmitted the hadith from one person to the other? Right? You assume that, hey, how are you doing? I'm uh, Abdullah. Oh, hey, let me tell you this hadith. No, right? We have no proof of this. So Abu Hanifa says, not only have they have met, they're required to have a testimony that they heard it directly from the narrator himself and that they fully remembered it and understood it. So... Despite these differences in criteria, uh, there were transmitters whom Muslim considered unreliable, Bukhari trusted, and vice versa. The Hadith scholar Al-Hakim listed 625 transmitters of Hadith whose narrations were accepted by Muslim but rejected by Bukhari. Alternatively, Bukhari exclusively narrated from 435 transmitters whom Muslim did not transmit because he did not consider them reliable. So simply putting the label of Sahih on something, again, it's all subjective. Ibn Hajar, who wrote a highly respected commentary of Sahih Bukhari, questioned the authenticity of 110 of Bukhari's narrations. 
Of these 110, Muslim included 32 of these hadiths, while Bukhari exclusively narrated 78 of these hadith. So there's 110 hadith that Ibn Hajar says, look, these are not reliable. Another eminent scholar among Sunni Muslims is Ibn al-Jawzi. He downrated a number of traditions included in Bukhari and Muslim as Hassan and some as even as Daif, weak, not to speak of other compilations. For instance, the compilation of Ibn Majah, which supposed to only contain Sahih Hadith, uh, later scholars deem that as much as one-fourth of the book is unreliable. So this doesn't look good when some of the most eminent figures and scholars the uh, debate amongst one another, what is even considered sahih, which hadith should be uh, accepted, which should be rejected. And these aren't small numbers, right? There's scholars who say the entire concept of the prophetic hadith regarding Judgment Day and the Dajjal, that these are all fabricated, or the ones that have to do with the Israeliyat, the hadith from Bukhari that uh, the Prophet supposedly said that if you narrate from the uh, stories, the folklore of the children of Israel, it's permissible. And you'll see these inundated in the uh, hadith corpus, these uh, uh, Talmudic uh, stories inside the hadith, uh, Moses punching the angel of death and the children of Israel accusing uh, uh, Moses of some sort of a skin defect or scrotial hernia. You know, these come strictly from Talmudic sources. And in addition, you have this concept, this debate as, as far as who they even deem is reliable. Now, one of the interesting observations is one of the most influential figures in the development of Hadith sciences was Al-Shafi. He was really the one who turned the tide and made the prophetic narrations, the Hadith, as not only on par. So he, he up front says that, oh, it's the same. The Quran and the Hadith are one and the same. He's the one who said that the word Hikmah is actually in reference to the Hadith. But he goes one step further. He actually makes the Hadith supersede the Quran. In his book, Risala, uh, in uh, section 133 of the Arabic and page 52 of the uh, translation by Joseph Lowry, it reads, if someone were to ask, is it possible that there be a practice that is transmitted, but which has been abrogated, and the practice that abrogates it not be transmitted? So someone's saying, is it possible that something was uh, uh, abrogated, uh, that we have the original uh, transmission narration, but we don't have the narration regarding the abrogation? And this is Shafi's response, is that is not possible. How could it be possible for a canceled obligation to be transmitted and the binding obligation to be abandoned. So his take is that it's impossible for the Hadith to not narrate something that has been abrogated. So that means any time that the Hadith uh, uh, contradicts uh, the, the, the Quran, he goes with the Hadith narration. Because his justification was that if this narration was abrogated, we should have another narration clarifying this. So regarding his uh, understanding of adultery, he believes the punishment is stoning because that's what's found in the Hadith. That washing the ears and the nose during ablution or wiping the socks, that that isn't abrogated because that's what's found in the Hadith. So despite him saying that the uh, Hadith, the Sunnah, and the uh, Quran are one, are the same playing field, you see when it comes to his judgment, judgment, he always with what the Hadith says over the Quran. And he's completely neglected the book, just as it's prophesied in the Quran. Now, he was an influential figure for both uh, Muslim, Bukhari, and the, uh, the, the, the uh, Sita compilation. But what's fascinating is, not once do Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari, ever narrate a narration uh, through Shafi. 
And not only that, it's not only in their Sahih compilations. In none of their works do they ever narrate from Shafi. Uh, and if you consider the entire Sita uh, compilation, there's only a few transmissions that go through Shafi. So clearly they assume that this person was unreliable despite the fact that they held his judgment to uh, such high esteem that they thought his transmission of Hadith was not trustworthy. So we're seeing that these, uh, you know, the most eminent scholars are constantly contradicting one another. Who do they consider reliable? Who do they consider unreliable? Uh, who do they transmit from? Which Hadith they think is Sahih? Which one isn't? And if you want an even more cut dry example of this, most people, when they look up Hadith, they go to Sunnah.com. And Sunnah.com gives its uh, respective ratings, but then go and pick up a physical copy of that Hadith, uh, a book form, and see if those ratings match. And what you'll find is that they do not match. Now, when it comes to Bukhari and the Muslim, they consider the entire compilation Sahih, so you won't see a rating there. But pick up the book of Abi Dawood. Abi Dawood, he intentionally puts uh, weak and uh, Hassan and uh, Sahih Hadith in his compilation. And just pick up the first book, go to the second uh, narration, and what you'll see is on sunnah.com, it rates it as sahih, then in the physical book form, go look at the exact same hadith, and it's rated as daif, weak. So it goes to show this concept that just because something is sahih, that it's uh, authentic, that it should be upheld, that it's actually something the Prophet said, is all a big fabrication. Again, at best, the hadith is just strictly conjecture. It has no binding whatsoever to the actual statements that the Prophet made. But people continue to follow this blindly. So all this demonstrates that Hadith sciences fall short of being anything like a real science. Because if it was a real science, uh, there should be able to be consistency, reproducibility, reliability in the answers, no matter the practitioner, who's the one who's doing the grading. But when you see such deviations, you know, among their most eminent scholars, you realize that at best, it's a pseudoscience. But realistically, it's a mockery, and God calls this. The worst creatures are those who fabricate lies and attribute them to God. They claim that these uh, hadith are wahi, they're divine inspiration. And they're claiming that when they write these down, that these are God's revelations. And God condemns such actions. In Surah 6, verse 93, it says, Who is more evil than one who fabricates lies and attributes them to God? Or says, I have received divine inspiration. This is literally what they say. They say it's wahi. When no such inspiration was given to him. Or says, I can write the same as God's revelations. Right? When they claim that the Hadith is revelation from God, it's wahi. This is literally what God is calling them out for. It's saying that who is more evil than those who fabricate lies and attribute them to God? That they're saying that the source of this was the prophet, that this was divine inspiration given to him, when it was nothing close to that. Now, the average Muslim, unless they research, they don't know this. They think that because something is labeled as sahih, therefore the prophet actually said it. They say it's authentic. And it's the, the, the scholars, the leadership, who they know they're duping the masses and they have the understanding of what they're doing, yet they continue down this path that God promises them a painful retribution. And there's no other outcome from that unless they change their ways. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys want to get in contact with other like-minded people, please join our Discord server. We have a thriving community of submitters doing uh, Quran studies, recitation, meditation, uh, debate, conversations, all good stuff. We'd love to have you. 
and the invite link is below. If you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran Study app on the iOS App Store. If you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranStudyApp.com website and you can see a word-by-word -word translation of the Quran with the respective roots and see how it's used throughout the Quran. And if you want notes from today's uh, conversation, you can go to the Quran Talk blog website. Also, I post a lot of this on uh, Twitter. So God willing, until next time, peace and God bless.